Small Biz Pod Sales Edition, episode number four. This is Uncle Spats wishing you a very warm welcome back to the Small Biz Pod Sales Edition. If you're involved with or have responsibility for sales in a small or medium-sized enterprise, whether it's just you or you have a sales team, this is especially for you. In this episode, I have an interview with Neil Thackeray, and we're talking about pricing, how to destroy your business through discounting, and we'll discuss the most amazing piece of mathematics you'll come across in your business life. So here we are with the fourth episode of the sales edition of Small Biz Pod. Thank you very much to, to those of you coming back to us and a big welcome to those of you tuning in for the first time. And I'd also like to say a big thank you to all the comments that we've received following the Brad Burton interview in episode three. Uh, that one really got Twitter going. Uh, there, there were an incredible number of tweets and retweets and it really gave a push to the number of people listening to the show. We've only had the sales edition out for a short time, so I was delighted to see that we'd enter the iTunes business podcast chart at number 42. But more than that, when I checked again recently, we'd actually risen up to number 26. So thanks to all of you who've subscribed via that iTunes feed. Uh, All I'd ask now is that if you like what we're doing here, um, there's two things that you could do. The first is to go into the iTunes store and enter some comments next to the podcast. Uh, That would really help boost our rankings even further. And secondly is just to go and tell your friends. So on to this episode's interview. This week we move on from the theme of lead generation and jump forward a bit in our sales process to take a look at pricing. Now, pricing is one of those funny things. It's important to our business. Uh, it determines how much we turn over, and, of course, it's a key determinant of our profitability. Yet, how much science goes into determining what our pricing should be? A man with a lot of experience in this area is Neil Thackeray. Now, Neil has been a serial chief exec for a number of media companies, both large, small, public, and private. He began his career at Reed Elsevier and had a stint um, as a divisional managing director at United Business Media. And since he's led three other media companies through changing and challenging times. Neil currently acts as a consultant and occasional trainer, and he blogs about his own industry and the challenging times that it faces. Now, I caught up with Neil on his boat down in Brighton Marina. Now, I've, I've actually known Neil, or Skip, for quite a number of years, and I've been on a few expeditions with him, including trips over to France and to Holland, and I've even enjoyed a couple of them. But others less so, as I'm not quite so comfortable in a foresight gale in the middle of the North Sea. Thanks very much, Skip. Now, a word of warning, uh, you will need to concentrate on this one. Uh, perhaps even have a pen and paper and possibly a calculator to hand to follow the examples particularly if you're as good as uh, mental arithmetic as I am. Uh, I think that there are really three types of salesperson. There's those that can count and those that can't. Now, it might be easier to download the handout sheet that I've put together from the Small Biz Pod site. If you just go to the show notes for this episode, um, you'll see a link to that and you can, uh, you, can, you can download them and it might make it a bit easier to follow through. So why don't you get yourself a cup of coffee, pull up a chair 
and devote yourself to hearing about how you can make a dramatic difference to your bottom line. It's worth the extra bit of effort. Okay, so we're here down in Brighton with Neil Thackeray, actually down on his boat in the marina. Uh, Neil, um, you've got some views on profits and pricing. I wonder if we could explore some of those, uh, some of the big themes that you've got. Well, I guess the first thing uh, is that we can um, save everybody a lot of money by um, not spending any money on going to business school. Uh, because actually running a business is one of the simplest things that you can do. Uh, because if you think about it carefully, there are only three things that you can ever do that will make a difference to the profit that you make out of your business. Okay. And this sometimes seems a bit surprising because we're all very busy, we hire lots of managers and we wonder, you know, how can there only be three things? But the fact of the matter is there are only three things. The first thing you can do is you can take all the sales team into a room, beat them hard with a stick and say, sell more stuff. Yeah, I'm familiar with that. Yeah, approach. that works. You know? and, and, on the, and that's not a bad thing to do and that can be, that can be quite, quite effective. The second thing, and it's the much-loved strategy of managers, particularly in a recession, is we can get rid of some costs. Yeah. And that will drive the profits up a bit. And the third thing we can do is we can increase our prices. And these are the only three ways that you can improve the profits of a business. Okay, so that's sell more. Sell more. Cost down. Cost down. Prices up. Okay. And you'll all be nodding going, well, that's really obvious. Right. But the really strange thing is, is that when you look at how most businesses behave, they tend to only use two of the three strategies. And often when people are budgeting, they start with a cost budget and then work out what the sales need to be in order to make a profit. Right. And actually, it's much more interesting to think about price first. Now, what I'm going to ask people to do, because I, I heard one of your earlier broadcasts and you said you wanted to make it practical. So let's see if we can make this a bit practical. So if you're listening to this, find yourself a pencil and a piece of paper uh, and if you're not really quick with the numbers, maybe a calculator as well. Uh, and we're just going to try a, a little kind of experiment, just to sort of understand how these three things uh, impact on profits. Okay, so let's imagine uh, a business. Let's imagine we've got a business which has got a turnover of 100. Right. It's nice and simple, nice and simple. So we've got two kinds of costs in a business. We've got variable costs, mm -hmm. you know, the things which kind of move with the amount of production. And we've got fixed costs. So let's pretend, let's write down revenue, 100, and let's pretend that our variable costs are 50 mm -hmm. and our fixed costs are 40. So our profit is... It's 10. It's 10. Well done. Excellent. So you can, you, can, you can work for a living. That's very good. Okay, so let's now see what happens if we use these three kind of levers. So let's imagine that we drive our sales up by 10%. What does that do to our profits? Okay, so sales up by 10%. So our revenue becomes... 110. 110, fantastic. Our variable costs go from 50 to... 55. 55, exactly. And our fixed costs... Remain the same. Stay the same. Fixed. Fantastic. See, you don't need to go to business school either. Absolutely marvellous. So now we've got revenue of 110, variable costs of 55, fixed costs of 40, which means we've got a profit now of 15. So we've had a 10% increase in sales and we've had a 50% increase in profits. So there's a ratio, a gearing, if you like, of 5 to 1 there. Mm. Yeah, does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's do the same thing now, but this time we are going to take uh, some costs out. Yeah. Okay. So we've got revenue of a hundred. Yeah. We're going to leave our variable costs alone, and we're going to take twelve and a half percent of our fixed costs out. Okay. okay. So our fixed costs, our variable costs are fifty. Our fixed costs drop from forty to thirty-five. Yeah. And our profit goes to fifteen. Okay. So this time. What's happened is we've, we've reduced our variable cost by 12.5%. We've reduced our cost by 
and our profit has gone up by 50, which is a 4 to 1 ratio. Right. So it's not quite as effective. Yeah. So it's better to sell more than it is to take costs out. But this is the bit that's really odd. What happens if we increase the price? So let's increase the price by, let's say, 5%. So our revenue goes from 100 yeah. to 105. Our variable costs stay the same. same. Our fixed costs stay the same. And our profit goes to 15 again. Okay. So a 5% increase in price drives a 50% increase in profit, a 10 to 1 ratio. Right. So price is twice as powerful in driving the profits of the business than either taking costs out or taking the sales team into a room and beating them with a stick. Right. And most people are kind of quite shocked at that because most people spend all their time saying, sell more, sell more, sell more, keep the costs down. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't do those first two things because it is very, very important to kind of do that. But most people neglect to think about price. And I can almost hear people listening to this saying, yeah, that's all very well. Yeah. But there's a war on, you know? Times are hard. Yeah. The markets have never been more competitive. My customers have never been more price conscious. Can you really expect me to put my prices up in a recession? Hmm. And the answer to that simple question is yes. Okay. okay. Expand on that. Okay. Well, let's just, um, let's just take a step back and let's look at it back to front for a moment. Okay. Let's think about what normally happens in a recession. Okay, and you'll be familiar with this. Anybody who's got a business that's having a bit of a tough time will be familiar with this. What kind of happens? The market declines. So you get a bit of a kind of a, you know, a, a market meltdown and everybody gets into a bit of a panic. Yeah. And uh, it all gets a bit tight. It all gets a bit squeezy. And the sales manager goes to see the managing director. He says, boss, look, we're in a terrible predicament here. The market is just falling through the floor. And all our competitors are trying to prop up their market share. And what are they doing? They're discounting. I'm dying out there. It's terrible. Every time I go and make a pitch, I lose because these other guys are cutting their price. Mm -hmm. I mean, does this sound familiar? Yeah, yeah, very I mean, it happens all the time, right? Yeah. So the sales manager says, look, boss, what you got to, you got to let me compete. You, you know, we're just getting raped out there. You got to let me drop the prices. I know you don't like doing it, but you got to let me drop the prices. And the boss says, no, 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 I don't want you to do that. I don't want you to do that, because he's understood this thing, that price is important. Mm -hmm. But eventually the sales manager persuades him, and he agrees uh, with the managing director that he can allow a little bit of discounting over and above the normal kind of discount rates. Most businesses behave like this, but it's a very scary thing to do. Let's go back to the maths, yeah. and let's just see why that's, um, why that's very scary. Let's imagine we've got that business again, turnover of 100, making a profit of 10. Yeah. There's a recession. Say so a 10% drop in your market size. Most people are probably experiencing at least that mm -hmm. right now. So what happens? Revenue goes from 100 to 90. Yeah. Yeah, which seems, which seems kind of reasonable. My variable costs drop from 50 to 45 because I'm selling less stuff. Mm -hmm. My fixed costs stay the same. So my profit is now 5. That's the point at which the sales manager goes to see the managing director and says, boss, let me cut the prices. What should we say? A 10% discount? Yeah, that sounds... That doesn't sound like a lot, does it? Yeah. Okay. So now what happens? The revenue goes from 90 to 81. Yeah. Your costs are 85. You're now making a loss of minus four. Mm. So in one step... In a small recession of just 
with a very small discount to your customers, you've just destroyed the business and you're all going to be on the dole. And that's really scary. The funny thing is that almost every business behaves in exactly that way when they find themselves in a tight corner. And almost always it leads you into a place which is extremely uncomfortable. Mm. You're looking quizzical, like you're worried that that's not right. No, I, I, I believe the numbers is just scary that with that small change, yeah. you have that dramatic effect. Yeah, and, and, and it is very difficult to avoid. And salespeople want to prop up their market share. The managing director doesn't want to lose sales volume. He's got a maybe, you know, the production plant is spitting out widgets and whatever it might be. Uh, and he wants to keep the plant busy. And so it's very easy to fall into the trap. Now, I'm not saying that fixing the price issue is easy, but it's certainly worthwhile. Right. What I'm going to tell you next is actually shocking. When I was told this nearly 20 years ago, the guy who told me this said that when I tell you this, you will never, ever forget that I told it to you. It will stick in your mind like nothing else has ever stuck in your mind before. And I'll give him the credit because if he listens to this, he'll say that I stole it from him. And this thinking is actually comes from a guy called John Winkler. And John describes himself as being the only pricing guru on the planet. Now, that might right. be a bit of hyperbole, but he's very good. Did he do that book, Pricing for Results? Yes, I think he did. Yeah, he did. Yeah, no, it's worth, it's worth a read. Uh, it, oh, you got it. Okay, it's very good. Uh, well, this math might even be in that book. I don't know. But anyway, certainly he, he talks about this. Now, when people say, yeah, this is all well and good, but I can't change my prices. I can't put my prices up in a recession. My answer is, but you could put them up by a pound, couldn't you? Whatever your price. You could put it up by a pound. If you're selling something for a thousand pounds, you could put it up by a pound. Yeah. If you're selling something for a pound, you could put it up by a penny. So it's possible. It's possible to imagine a world in which you can make a small difference. Mm-hmm. So now we're going to play with our imaginary business. Okay? So we've got this imaginary business. Remember, it had a turnover of 100. It had variable costs of 50. Yeah. Fixed costs of 40. And a profit of 10. And we're going to make a series of small very strategic steps, pulling each of our three levers that we talked about at the beginning and see what happens. Is it possible that in your sales team there's a little bit of inefficiency? Is it possible that we could get the sales team to work a little bit harder, to make a few more calls, to hunt down a few more leads? It's kind of possible, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. They're not flat out all the time, are they, if we're, if we're kind of honest? Is it possible that if we really worked at it with them, we could get another 1% of sales out of their productivity. Hmm. Yeah. Sounds, sounds doable. It sounds doable. It doesn't sound like a big thing, you know? It's not, it's not really scary. Okay, so let's do that. So let's add 1% to our sales. So our revenue goes from 100 yeah. to 101. Yeah. Our variable costs, remember, were 50. Yeah. This is why you need a calculator, people. It goes from 50 to 50.5. Yeah, yeah. Our fixed costs, of course, stay the same. Yeah. So our profit has now become, anybody? 10.5. 10.5. Okay. Yeah. So this is... I was just about to say that. I'm sure you were. You were just about to say that. So that's fine. Okay. Now, times are tight. We've all taken a lot of costs out of our business already. Probably it's squeaking. But we could probably take a little bit more, couldn't we? I mean, do you think it's possible we could find 1% of our costs 
there's always that extra yeah. little bit to squeeze out. Right, it's a little bit, you know. Yeah. Let's not have the monograms on the pencils, maybe, yeah. this year, you know. Let's have beer instead of champagne at the Christmas party. I mean, there's a, you know, there's a hundred things that we might be able to do to do that. OK, so now let's, let's take a 1% of the costs out. Let's take 1% of all the costs out, because we're going to attack the fixed cost base and the variable cost base. So our revenue is now 101. Yeah. And our fixed costs go from 90.5 to 89.6. Okay, I'm just taking 1% out. Yeah. Okay? If you've got the calculator, you'll be keeping up and you'll be going, yeah, this is amazing. So now our profit has gone to 11.4. So we were at 10, we're now at 11.4. Now the final lever. Now we're going to do this magical thing with prices, which we're going to come on and talk a bit about how we might do yeah. that. We're not going to do much. We're going to make a 1% difference. Don't worry about how we do it for a minute. We'll come on and talk about it. We're going to make a 1% difference. That's all. Just 1%. So our revenue goes from 101 to 102. Yeah. All of our costs stay the same at 89.6. Our profit is now 12.4. So we have changed our three levers by 1%. And we have delivered a 24% increase in our profits. That's remarkable. It is remarkable. You never forget it. So, when the managing director starts by saying, we need to improve our profits by 24%, that sounds really scary. But the fact of the matter is, it's about the sum of a lot of very small things. So on sales, yeah, really push those sales guys hard. Absolutely. Mm. We can all work a bit harder. We can all see more customers. We can all be more effective yeah. at close. All that stuff is all good. Yeah, let's keep button down on the costs. Let's not waste a penny. Let's get value out of every pound that we spend and make sure we're getting value out of every pound that we spend and get everybody in the organization engaged in thinking about that, just to squeeze that extra 1% out. And let's spend some time thinking about that most effective lever, which is what can we do uh, about price. Right. That, that's fantastic. So what are we going to do about price then? Okay. I want you to think for a minute about how you set a price. And when you think about it, there are only three ways to set a price. And most people use one of two of them, actually, not yeah. the third. Right. A bit like the earlier example. And the three ways to set a price are you can make it up, which is what a lot of people do. Yeah. You can do cost plus. Yeah. You can say, what does it cost? And we'll add a margin of whatever. Or thirdly, and more interestingly, you can work out what is the value of what we're selling to our customer. In fact, what is the value of what we're selling to every different kind of customer? And that might get you to a much more interesting place. Now, what's odd is that in business, most businesses, most salespeople, most marketing people, mostly make it up. And I'll tell you how I know this. And I've looked at lots of businesses. And when I look at their price sheets, you know, their rate card, their rack rates, whatever, however they want to describe it, look at how many of the prices end in a zero or two zeros, or three zeros, or four zeros, or in big businesses, five zeros. Right. What does that tell you? That tells you that somebody hasn't thought about the price. So that's just an approximate round number they've come up with. They've made it. I think I can get away with £10,000, boss. Well, if you can get away with £10,000, I'll tell you, you can get away with £10,043.36. It makes no difference, OK? Uh, I once ran a business which had 30,000 transactions uh, a year. If I could have moved, uh, relatively small business, if I moved each one of those transactions by £10, 
That's another £300,000 worth of profit. And the average value of a transaction yeah. was a four-digit number. You know, so it was yeah, straight, know, straight to the bottom line. Straight to the bottom line. Yeah. Exactly. It's all. It's a free go. There's no yeah. pain attached to it at all, which is you know, which is absolutely extraordinary. So most people either make it up, or they do cost plus, rather than thinking about the value to the customer. So when we're thinking about price, you can do quite a lot of this stuff, especially if you're only focusing on one percent, by doing a lot of things which don't change very many of your headline prices, but it's just about how you think about it in a different way. Let me give you an example. Lots of businesses give stuff away for free, which they could charge for. Mm -hmm. And they don't realise that what they're giving away for free is valuable. I don't know if you've flown long haul lately, but about three years ago, uh, well, years ago, I used to be a regular traveller. I used to work in the travel business. And I used to know the layout of all the planes. Mm -hmm. I was a bit sad in that way. And (laughs) and when... (laughs) So when I was in the queue, I when I get to the front and they say, you know, where, you know, do you know where you want to sit? Yeah, absolutely. I knew where I wanted to sit. I wanted to sit in those seats in front of the bulkhead or the ones yeah. by the fire exit, you know, by the exit yeah. doors. Why? Because yeah. you get more leg. Exactly. Because you get more legroom. And because I knew and I check in early, they go, oh yes, Mr. Thackeray, absolutely not a problem. You know, and they give me that seat. And it was fine. Three years ago, I was checking in at the Virgin desk. Uh, at Gatwick Airport to go to the States or something. And I tried it. And they said, yes, sir, that won't be a problem, and it'll be £150. <laughs> so they've cottoned on to the additional value that they can get from that transaction. Absolutely. Because what they worked out is, I, I forget how many, on a 747 or a 777, there's probably, I don't know, 80, 90 seats which are in that kind of category. Mm. So let's call it 100. So 100 seats times £150 is £15,000. That's probably paid for the landing fee. Mm. Just by not giving away something which is of value to some customers who will be prepared to pay for it, who, who kind of wouldn't. Now, in very competitive times, like they are now, and in difficult times, it's often very difficult to pitch for business when you've got a competitor who's always pitching low. Mm-hmm. You say, well, how do we pitch low? Well, the way to do that is you strip out all of the things which the customer might not want in the basic price in order to get your basic price really low mm-hmm. in order to win the contract. And everything else is charged as extras. Yeah. It's what Ryanair do, right? Yeah. Okay. So, you know, the headline is a pound for the ticket, but then it's, you know, five pounds for check in and five pounds for the bag and mm. twenty pounds for the ta- for twenty pounds for the taxes and, and all that yeah. stuff, you know. So suddenly it becomes a reasonably expensive kind of reasonably expensive process. So if you look at all of the things that are bundled in your offering, look at which you are charging for and yeah. which you are not, and which actually effectively you're giving away for free. And even if you are going to continue to bundle them, give them all a price. Put them in the price. So when the customer says, do you know what, I don't want to pay £10,426.26p because you've already learned the lesson about not having prices yeah. in zero. He says, I only want to pay £9,000. You say, that's absolutely fine. And you simply strike out some of the benefits that are in yeah. the deal. And you will very normally learn that actually they want those things and yeah. you actually have so that could be sorry that would be training or support or implementation exactly. absolutely yeah. i mean in technology sales which i know you've you know, been involved with yeah. in the past i mean charging for support is really important because often there's more money in that than there is anything else there's more money in servicing cars than there is in selling cars so you know it's about how you do the pricing and how you and how you kind of think of it. so if you've got extras make sure you don't include them in the price or if you do make sure you give them uh, make sure you give them a real a real kind of value. Here's something else you can do. 
How much discretion do salespeople have in your organisation to discount? They're bound to have some. Yeah, there's normally a percentage that they yeah. can get them on there, and then they've got to escalate it up. Yeah. Right, exactly. So whatever that floor rate is, if we want to call it that, why don't you just increase it by half of 1%? It's not going to make any difference, because we know the reason we have the floor rate is that that's the walkaway. That's the price at which the salesperson has to say, I'm sorry, customer, I can't do that deal. I'm not authorised to do it. Well, if you just keep increasing that price a little bit at a time, every day, if you like, depending on the nature of your business, every week, every month, whatever it might mm. be, you'll find that the lowest value transactions, the ones that are destroying your business, particularly in businesses where you're selling time-sensitive product, will slowly inch their way up. And you'll very quickly find that you'll get to that uh, you know, magical um, uh, magical uh, uh, 1%, uh, 1%, uh, 1% target. The third thing you can do is you can try and think about who really has the power in the pricing negotiation. Some years ago, we had a customer who was nominally our biggest customer. Yeah. And every year, the price that we charged this customer declined. Yeah. Because every year, the customer said, if you do not reduce my price, I shall be taking my business somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Uh, and he had an exclusive arrangement for this business. Uh, and we were selling this price, selling this business at a rate which was, frankly, uh, not, not even, it certainly wasn't optimally profitable. It was probably costing us money. Mm. This guy. And I said to the team, do you know what? Tell him his price is going up by 20% a year, every year for the next five years. And they said, and he would still be getting a great deal, by the way. Yeah. I mean, he was just so far, you know, he was getting about a 75% discount off the, yeah. off the right rate. And I said, no, 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 he'll never wear it. And I said, he will. And the reason he will is he knows that the very first day he does not contract with us, I will do a deal with his competitor. Right. And he knows that. And he knows that our product, he will get. Uh, for the first 12 weeks... The, guy, the, the client wrote letters to me, my board, everybody complaining, whinging, bitching, threatening, mm. all kinds of stuff. The sales team got really panicky because they thought they were going to lose this guy. And on the last day that his contract expired, he signed. <laughs> and this was simply because we had understood for the first time that actually there was a risk for him in not buying from us. Mm. Now, we weren't stiffing him. We weren't st he was still getting the best deal that anybody got out of our organization. And he knew he was getting a great deal. And he was exploiting the fact that he was an important customer, blue chip name, good negotiator as well. You know, and, like, and he'd exploited that and he'd done a great job. Right. But he knew what we were asking wasn't unfair and he knew that the cost to him of not buying from us was greater than, you know, than, than, than actually kind of doing a deal. Here's the fourth thing you can do. And this is the last one. And this is actually quite important. If you're going to make this work, if you accept the premise that price is really important, we don't spend enough time thinking about it, it won't be you listening to this that makes it happen. You've actually got to engage everybody insofar as you can in your organisation to make it happen. If you get your teams together, and if you show them the magical piece of math, and then you set them a task... And the task might be a bit like this. 
Think about your area of the business. Working groups. Think about your area of the business. And come up with as many things as you can think of which collectively, together, will improve the profit in this business by the equivalent of 8% of the turnover in your group. Big challenge. 8%. 8. Right. Big number. Yeah. That's the first big number I've given you. And the reason I'm, get, I'm saying get them to do it, and then get them to present it back and have a look at it. Make them, in the brief, come up with things that they can do. Right? So this is not the corporate right. monkey thing, where they say, well, if the boss got rid of his big Mercedes and his large yacht, you know, or whatever, you know, yeah. it would all be fine. That's not what it's about. It's doing things about them, identifying things they can do. I don't care how small they are. It might be about changing prices, reducing discounts, charging for extras, or there's a million yeah. things. Every business is different. And, you know, and you can... Uh, one business we came up with 160 initiatives. Wow. Yeah. Now, of that 8%, half of it will be mad. <laughs> Absolutely bonkers. Mad Com- as a box of frogs. Mad as a box of frogs. <laughs> and you're not going to let them do it, okay? So half of it is bonkers, or it just won't pass yeah. kind of muster. So you now we're down to 4%. And of that remaining 4%, we might imagine that half of that might not work. Yeah. Know, or it might not work as well as we think. So we're kind of assuming that about a quarter of what we identify kind of works. But 2% on your price. Wow. 2% on your price on a business that makes a 10% margin is a 20% profit improvement, which is a huge number. Mm. And what you're doing is you're getting everybody in the business to focus on the thing which drives the profit of the business more than anything else. Mm. And it's a lot more fun than walking into the office every day and finding somebody new to fire which is the alternative plan you have to adopt if your profits are declining in a downturn. Okay, so that's that's really good, compelling stuff. Um, What I'd like to explore is about the potential impact that those strategies have on your customers, how it comes across to them. Okay, well, here's something not to do, right? So if you start thinking about doing this, for crying out loud, you know, don't brief all your sales guys in a kind of stupid way because what they'll do is they'll go out and see their customers and they'll say, I'm really sorry, Bob, you know, who I've played golf with for the last 25 years, you know, and we have Christmas lunch together and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, the boss has gone off on one about price and I'm afraid I'm going to have to put your prices up. He's been, you know, he's listened to some podcast or something and he now thinks that, you know, right. nothing to do with me. You know, yeah, if I admire, we wouldn't do it. For everything and it's, you know, it's all a nightmare. So I'm, I'm sorry, but, you know, we're going to have to put your price up. You know, disaster. You know, that is a really really kind of bad way to do it uh, and you clearly don't want to do it actually what this is about is going back to some real basics when you go and see customers mm. and it's about really uh, getting to the getting to grips with what the customers needs are let me give you kind of two examples one of which is a really old one which some of you might know uh, which is the famous parker pen case study when baron bick first started producing his very cheap little pens uh, not surprisingly their market share went through the roof because you could buy a biro for threepence or whatever it was mm. Uh, and the Parker Pen Company got very exercised about it because they could see this happening in their industry. So what they did was they took a load of cost out of their manufacturing process, reduced the quality of the pen in order to bring the price down to try and compete with Baron Big. Yeah. What happened? Their market share collapsed even faster because now when people bought a Parker Pen, it was rubbish. Yeah. Uh, and, it, you know, and it just wasn't what they had kind of hoped it to be. And they still weren't as cheap as a big pen. Mm. They dug themselves out of this when they realised what it was that their customer was really buying. And when you bought a Parker pen, they weren't buying a pen, they were buying a gift. So actually, the comparative set 
was, I don't know, in those days, a cigarette lighter or a carriage clock or something of, something of that kind. And actually devaluing the quality in the pen in order to compete with Bic was entirely the wrong, entirely the wrong strategy. If they'd have understood what their customers were really trying to achieve with their purchase, they could probably have charged even more because their competitive set was, largely speaking, more expensive than the cost of a Parker pen. Yeah, so they were there as a gift because you wouldn't give a Bic borrower as, as a gift. But no. the Parker never had a brand that was that was valued in that space. Yeah, you've now spoiled my surprise Christmas gift for you. Uh, but uh, but <laughs> that's more than you've given me previously. <laughs> hey, this year I've put the ink in it. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, th- what's important is 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 to understand that you know, that a simple single product may be very different in value to different kinds of customer. Let's take something that's really kind of very kind of commodity. Like let's take a a parking space. Okay, so you know we all park our car. Perhaps we often park our car at the airport. And airport parking companies have kind of got the hang of this now. They're all selling the same thing, right? Which is a bit of tarmac with a white line around it, which is big enough to put a car in. That's it. That's all it is. Yeah, and, a, and a security gate, maybe. You know, that's yeah. it. But you can pay different prices depending on who you are and what you really want. So sometimes... You can drive the car up to outside the terminal uh, and a youth will get in your car and drive it away and park it for you to make it kind of faster. Uh, some of these little spaces are a little bit closer to the airport terminal than others. Uh, some of them will be more secure than others and have higher fencing or whatever. Uh, some of them will simply have uh, nice guards on the front with smart uniforms rather than grubby guys in yellow visibility suits to make you kind of feel good. And these can all be priced at different points mm. for different customers. They're all selling just a bit of concrete with a white line around it. But a business class customer in a hurry will pay a higher price for that space than the holiday traveller going on his package holiday to the Costa Brava. And airport companies work this out over a long period of time, it took them about 25 years to work yeah. it out after the war when they were kind of living on, living on kind of building sites. So when you go and put this to customers, I'm not asking you to go to all your customers and say, look, there's a recession on, our profits are hurting, we're going to put your prices up. What I'm asking you to do is to unbundle everything about that relationship. Mm. Ask yourself, whose risk is it? Who's got the power in this conversation? What is the value that this customer is going is buying? Remember the kind of the Parker the Parker mm-hmm. Pen example. What are the parts of this deal which are really important to them? And can I price these more highly than the parts that are not so important to them? Have I made sure that every price changes by uh, at least some small amount? Here's one thing you can do without changing anything. Okay, really simple. Let's imagine last year you were selling something for a hundred pounds. And you were selling it to your best customer for a 25% discount. Mm-hmm. So he's paying £75. Next year, you put your prices up. Okay, So you put your prices up by 5%. Yeah. True? So your price is now 105 mm-hmm. What do you do with the customer's price? Now, what most people do is put the customer's price up by 5%. Mm. So 75 Plus 5% is another £3.78.75 or whatever it is. I've just increased his discount in cash terms. So why, instead of doing that, don't I say to the customer, we've had a £5 increase, so your price is going to increase by £5. Yeah, yeah. 
and I've just reduced the percentage discount that I'm offering. I've given him the same price increase that I'm giving everybody else, but I haven't applied a percentage. Now, it doesn't make a very big difference. It's, you know, it's nickels and dimes, but remember, we're looking for 1%. 1%, yeah. you know, 2% if we're doing really well, 3 is getting really sexy. Now, if you start thinking about it in this way, putting all these processes together, you sitting on your own will think of a hundred things you can do in your own individual business. If you need help with it, there's lots of people around who can provide help. John Winkler is one. I've done a bit of it in some industries. Lots of people can provide help. Yeah. But actually, just sitting with your team and saying, what are all the things that we can do which should make a difference? Have a look at all of the prices that you charge. Just look at what would happen if you changed every one by a penny or a pound, depends mm -hmm. on the value of the transaction. And what difference would that make? What would happen if you have a range of discounts for volume, which a lot of businesses have, right? Buy one, it costs this. Buy 10, it costs this. Buy 100, it costs this. Mm. Buy 1,000, it's, you know, it's, it's pretty cheap. What would happen if you took off the bottom level of discount? What would happen if you never published the discounts? I used to work in the publishing business, right? and weekly magazines used to publish prices for everything from buying one week to buying 52 weeks of ads. Yeah. And the 52-week price was pretty low. So when we were negotiating prices, what would happen? Everybody starts negotiating from the 52 price. Mm. And when I started looking into this, and I asked sales guys, how many of our customers buy 52 ads in a year? And they said, I don't know, boss. So I thought, well, can you go and find out? So they did. So they went and found out, and they came back. And the answer was none. <laughs> Not one. <laughs> Not a single customer was buying 52 ads in a year. So I said, well, how about if we just deleted that off the price card? Oh, I don't know. People. Well, nobody buys it. It's crazy. In fact, better. Why don't we delete all of the discounts off the price card? And why don't we negotiate each customer's terms individually depending on their needs? Oh, it's a bit radical, boss. Well, do you know what? It makes a hell of a difference yeah. to the achieved price that you get in aggregate, you know, across, um, you know, across all of the, uh, uh, you know, across all of the, across all of the business. Yeah. Now it sounds like there's a couple of benefits that that come out of this, over and above just the the the, the profit side of it. One, examining your own business to that degree and having everybody involved on doing that. So you're, you're, you're getting more people in your business, more aware of all of those different levers and the effects of things, and hopefully then incrementally doing all of those, those good things. And then secondly, that combined with understanding your customer's business and understanding the value that you bring to your customer's business to a far greater degree. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Uh, and, uh, and you have to do both of those things, Reese, kind of make this work. Um, uh, uh, without being rude to uh, people listening who are salespeople, you know, it's very easy to be a lazy salesperson. It's very easy to keep trotting out, you know, the same thing day in, day out, you know, with a variety of customers, and we forget to do the most important thing, which is to understand really what the value of what we offer is to the customer. And it is different in every business. It is different for every uh, for every customer. They value different things in that relationship. Some of them might well value their personal relationship with you, you know, and that mm -hmm. might be really important. And actually, the price might not be very important to them at all. You know, yeah. it's only, you know, it's a game, and you know, it may, it may be as simple as that. For some of them, they might value a particular aspect of the service that you, you know, the service that you offer. I mean, you know, going back to technology sales, you know, often, you know, 
people will say, look, what I really need, you know, I need 100% uptime. I need 24-7, you know, 52 days, you know, 52 weeks a year, seven days a week, you know, uh, calls, call, response, help, you know. Mm. Yeah, you've had that, you're nodding, right? You've yeah, had, you've yeah. had this. They don't really, do they? No. Right, they, don't, they only think they that think they, they do, do, right? Yeah. Now, to provide that is very expensive. And so you should be charging a very, very big premium for that last 5% mm. of cover. Because providing 95% cover is kind of fine. But that last 5% should be very expensive and there should be kind of a big premium on it. And because it's very expensive for you to service it apart from mm. anything else. Uh, and of course, when they say they don't want to pay the premium, the good news is they won't require the cover. Mm. And that saves you costs. So understanding exactly what it is that's driving the customer's request will help you determine what the price is. Yeah. But if you do only one thing as a result of listening to this podcast, I would urge you to do this, is go and look at your ledger. Look at all the sales transactions that have taken place in your organization in the last week or the last month and look at all of the transactions which have been concluded with three zeros on the end of the price. And every one of those, you have missed an opportunity because I can tell you, you can charge another pound or 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 and all those little things add up to a whole heap of one percent neil thackeray that's inspirational thank you very much indeed so thank you very much to neil for what i thought was an absolutely inspiring interview I heartily recommend that you do a review of your pricing policies in, in light of Neil's comments. And I think you'll agree that making some of the changes suggested can really make a huge difference to your bottom line. And in these challenging times could even make the difference between staying in business or going out of business. But what do you think? How viable is it to increase prices right now? Let us know what you think. Neil is happy to engage in debate on this subject and has also has some availability to work with you personally to help you develop and execute your pricing strategy. So if you want to contact Neil, just drop me a line and I'll put you in touch. Now, there's a lot of discussion in the interview about the importance of understanding your customer needs. And this is a topic that I've discussed in an interview that I did recently with Professor Neil Rackham, the creator of the SPIN selling methodology. Now, in that interview, Professor Rackham talks about the sorts of questions you should use to get the most informative answers from your customer. It's a technique I can highly recommend, and it's certainly one that has stood the test of time. I think we're going to be putting that one out early in the new year, so if you keep a lookout for that, or better still, if you'd be so kind as to give us your email address, I'll send you a message in advance of each episode, as well as keeping you up to date with other things that are going on, uh, if you just sign up on the website for that. Now, as I mentioned before the interview, you may wish to get a written copy of the examples Neil used. If you go to this episode on the website, that's smallbizpod.co.uk forward slash sales, then you'll see how to download the handout. And that covers all of the things Neil covered, uh, not, not just the examples. So to get involved in the debate here, you can do that either by commenting on the blog post relating to the interview or in the Small Biz Pod Sales Edition Facebook group. Uh, if you go again to smallbizpod.co.uk forward slash sales, you'll get all the details for that. You can also email me at unclespats at smallbizpod.co.uk. Uh, follow me on Twitter 
which is uh, just at Uncle Spats. Or if you feel inclined, you can leave me a message on Skype. And my username there is just Uncle Spats. And I'll pass on any direct messages to, to Neil also. Now, just before we go, there's one question that's come up quite a few times. Um, and that is just what is the business model for the Small Biz Pod Sales Edition? Which is a very good question. And one that I will answer in the next episode. But it's all about the continuum of meet, like, know and trust, which you may recall that Brad Burton was talking about in the last episode. But what I'll do is I'll expand on that uh, next time. And the next episode should be out just a bit before Christmas. So keep a look out for that. Or, of course, you can subscribe via iTunes to get it automatically or just join the mailing list. So that's about it for this episode, apart from, of course, the closing music. Now, when an artist's bio describes them as a southern blues rocker with monstrous guitar chops, feral, incendiary and fiery, I just couldn't resist playing it. Um, and when they say southern, I'm not sure how far south they mean, whether that be sort of Basingstoke or perhaps as far down as the Isle of Wight, I don't know. Uh, but this is a track by a chap called Tinsley Ellis, and it gives some sound advice for the responsible and ethical salesperson. This is a track called Speak No Evil. And as usual, the track is courtesy of Iota Promanet. So thanks for listening. Please do get involved on the site of the Facebook group, and I'll see you next time.